Hello everybody, this is episode 35, 36, well done me, <laughs> oh, we don't talk about the weather. One week, one <laughs> week of introducing it. <laughs> Never trust me. And um, for this one we've decided, at the end of the last couple of episodes we talked a bit about TV and how that was going in the 90s and what people liked, what people really liked. <laughs> and what it said about them. Um, but we've got a lot more to say about TV because it's the main thing we do. Mm. Because we're incredibly boring. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I've got an expert TV guest. <laughs> I scoured the world for this woman. She's a writer of stage and screen. I did find her in the bedroom. She is my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Say hello, Holly. Hi. <laughs> I'm mostly a writer of screen. Yeah, I know. So like I wrote one play, I don't think it counts. <laughs> the podcast's resident TV expert, by which we mean literally you reside in yes. this house. Like yeah, you reside in the studio. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we're going to talk about TV. There's stuff happened this week. Yeah. A bit, but there's um, the, the bloodless correction in Zimbabwe today. <laughs> Listening to LBC listeners and well, callers in try not to say Rhodesia has driven me insane <laughs> when they're constantly complaining about family farms being taken away by Big Bad Mugabe. It's super weird how there's so little... Like, other than specific... I've never noticed, like, a pattern as to when Zimbabwe comes up in British news. Mm. That, you know, whether people know about the history of Rhodesia and the history of it as, like, a British colony and things mm. like that. But it's very odd that, like, nothing... Like, there's no coverage for just, like, a former imperial country there's no coverage right up until now and you realize oh there's been a lot of stuff going on yep i was reading it up today reading uh reading up on it today and like he's the, the there's his wife grace mugabe who has been his former who secretary in, yeah. who he had an affair with while his other wife was dying of cancer oh yeah it's a proper uh what's his name um shit american politician newt gingrich Oh, so yeah, it's a proper, proper pro-politician move. Is she the one who attacked someone with a spoon? Yes, she is. Yes, she is. In self-defence. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a good weapon. I mean, it's a bad weapon, but it's a visually pleasing weapon. She did a lot of damage weapon. with that fucking she did. spoon. What kind of spoon? Like teaspoon, tablespoon, wooden spoon? Does it make that much Wasn't she on holiday? Really so maybe does. it was like a kind of uh, like souvenir. Oh, like, like, like a love spoon. <laughs> like you've been to you've been to Tiverton and they've got a picture of a windmill. Are there windmills that in Tiverton? Would make I don't it know. <laughs> Stabbing someone with a splintered love spoon. <laughs> she leads one faction of the Zanu PF party, and this other guy who's be, who's he's about like eighty, and he leads this other faction, and he got poisoned in August. So much so that he was vomiting on stage and had to go to hospital. And then got ousted. Uh, the about... old Hillary Clinton swerve. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and he got uh, ousted as vice president and pushed into exile a week ago. And then this happens, hmm. which is odd. It, it, you wouldn't have you would have thought that Mugabe would have died and like of old age because he's ninety three, hmm. and then the usual tactic would have been like they sponsor whichever government, uh, like whichever opposition party. Hmm goes up according to whatever whatever presents the new president of Zimbabwe (laughs) like yeah the crazy logic of imperialism and how they how they choose their targets and how they choose their methods is but yeah it's it's an odd one just one of the longest lived dictators isn't he he's done real all right for himself in the modern uh excuse me dictator (laughs) (laughs) how dare dare I (laughs) um 
Yeah, he's. I mean, he's not. He was quite old when he came to mm. power, anyway. Like he was well into middle age. Mm. But he's just held in there. Obviously, he hasn't done as well. He didn't do as well as you know some of the Korean ones. But mm. they've got. But know, not as badly as Gaddafi. So yeah, pigs and troughs. Mm. So sunrise, sunset. Were they just waiting for him to die, and then he didn't die, so they got bored of waiting? There was going to be an. There was. He was going to be standing down and handing over the reins of power to the bloke who was poisoned. Mm. But then his wife was like, but I want to go. And so he's like, uh-huh. yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. That seems to be what happened. And, and then like, the army went, took no. over, insisted that he's fine. No one's died. It was not a coup. It was a bloodless correction. Yeah. All smotherings. That does always a Simpsons joke. It's amazing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So I think that we should be really concerned because I think something really similar is going to happen to Attenborough. And I'm not just saying that to segue into TV. So, <laughs> so he's got like a, a director of photography that he's been grooming. He's been ready to I mean, pass yeah. the reins of power over to. He's been doing it for a to. really long time, right? But yeah. <laughs> as he starts to lose his mind towards the end, he's mm-hmm. going to give it to his side piece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't know who she is or if she exists or if she's ever attacked anyone with a spoon. But I do think that there are probably a lot of wildlife documentary makers out there who have mm. been desperately waiting for mm. their chance yeah. to be Attenborough. And and I think that they yeah, I'm just I'm really worried. Oh, I think just, just waiting for just wait direction. just waiting for Ray Mears to step into the breach and crown <laughs> himself like Napoleon. Yes. <laughs> Amber is like a perfect he's a perfect metaphor for the problem with housing in this country. Because he's this old bastard who just won't give up and let any any <laughs> of the young people have a chance. Have a chance. <laughs> He's too busy there doing all the documentaries, having all the bite-lets. I mean, I I love him, and I love what he's... But, I mean, I really feel bad for not just one generation, but two or three generations of wannabe, mm. like, wildlife documentary makers. I mean, Terry Nutkins just... grew up, grew old, and yeah, grew out, and then he's gone. Yeah. You know? Did he do anything bad, Terry Nutkins? No, I think... I, I, like I want to say he had some mental health issues or some, like early onset dementia or something like that. That's because it never happened. Like he dreamed so hard about becoming the next Attenborough and it didn't happen. So he was like, So you're positing, you're positing Terry Nutkins is very much the Salieri to Amber's Mozart. So true. Only less successful because of course Salieri, well, I mean, in the play version. It wasn't Attenborough voiceovering that whale. It was God. Kind of makes sense though, because David Attenborough does have that really lovely voice, and there were probably all these people, and they're like doing, they're just sitting there, like you know, watching the dog on the floor right now, and going, ah, oh, look at the way that she lies there. See, I don't sound like Attenborough. I couldn't do what he does. Mm. I'm like Salieri. <laughs> Should we go into like proper TV? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, one of the first shows I was going to think about talking about. Um, because we're mainly going to be talking about dramas. Yeah, because we did a few sitcoms at the end because yeah. we liked how they kind of fit in with what mm. we were saying. But yeah, we didn't really cover dramas at all. Mm. And in 1989, there was a really, really good, I think it was BBC drama. Yeah, yeah it was. Of BBC. Yeah. Um, called Edge of Darkness. In an earlier episode, I wrongly referred to it as Heart of Darkness because I constantly <laughs> mix them up. Yeah. But um, Edge of Darkness um, starred the guy who was in Jurassic Park, who was the animal keeper. Oh, the gamekeeper. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he's a Clever Yorkshire... Girl. Yeah. Yeah. He's a Yorkshire copper, I think. I think it's Yorkshire. 
Somewhere no, he more. he's Aussie, isn't he? In real no, life. What? Yeah. But in the real life, yeah, yeah. Counts. Ah. <laughs> he's a Northern copper, and his daughter comes home to stay with him from university, mm-hmm. and she gets shot, mm. and then that's like the start of a big murder mystery. You want to say something? <laughs> it was just as you were describing the opening, and I shouldn't interrupt because you need to explain to people what this series is, and there's mm. a lot of really good things to say about this series, but. But there's just like one moment that I really, really have to mention from the first episode of Edge of Darkness, which is a brilliant series that everyone should watch. But his daughter goes home to stay with him. And at one point he goes into her room and he's looking at her room. Oh, at God, her I've stuff. forgotten. <laughs> right? Okay. <laughs> he's looking in her room at her stuff yeah. and he opens a drawer and there's her vibrator in a drawer and he picks it up. And he sniffs it. And he kisses looks, it. Yeah, he kisses it. Doesn't he do that after she dies? I though? think it might be after it's she dies. It's after she dies. Yeah. So it's like, oh, the smell of <laughs> the smell of her vagina. Basically. Mm. It's a really weird it's moment. It's an odd narrative but choice. It's a really odd narrative <laughs> choice. And I just thought I had to bring it up because I just don't know if you would get that kind of moment in TV now. No. <laughs> you shouldn't have had it then. No, you shouldn't. <laughs> Times were different then. Men would routinely go through their daughter's sock drawers. (laughs) Find their vibrators and kiss them. um, And carry on with the plot of Edge of Darkness. But then after the murder, he tries to investigate it. He gets more and more wrapped up in what turned out to be... It's like eco-terrorism. Yes. It's it's got a very strong eco... Like, green message behind it. Yeah, yeah. Um, he befriends a CIA agent who also was a CIA agent in the Pierce Brosnan Bond films. Yep. Um, and it all culminated like really over the top dealing with arms dealers. It's a lot of stuff because the eco-terrorism thing is about um, nuclear power and nuclear weapons, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. 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 Um, and it's really good. And the thing that's really nice about that series that you don't really that you didn't really get in the nineties, where it started to fall away, was it did have like a really hopeful message. You can open a beer, it's fine. People know you're an alcoholic. Um, <laughs> also it's a pleasing sound, I it think. It is a very pleasing sound. sound. I know who thing. people who I know and have forgiven me. Know about <laughs> but um the it's a, it's a hopeful message to the series, do you agree, Holly? It's, um, uh, yeah, it's got a very. It it's sad, it's got, but it's ultimately it's, hopeful. Yeah, yeah, and it's very much a. a it's a very green. Mm. It's weird because you, you don't because yeah. with the TV like series. it's it's one of those things that other than if you're paying attention to what the Met do as regards undercover policing, it's one of those worlds that doesn't get portrayed that often, other than in a negative way. So like the '90s, you have a lot of kind of like swampy. Mm. You remember swampy? Yeah, the, the, the eco warrior went up the tree to protest the road. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh my god, I had forgotten, you, yeah. but I now remember. You never get anything other than jokes or yeah. kind of um, scare stories. And the police in real life spent a huge amount of time and money investigating kind of those kind of eco groups. And it's like, it's fairly rare in a drama to actually have, it's, especially seeing it's like a detective series. Like, if it, if it was like Touch of Frost, mm. he would investigate this girl's murder and it would turn out all her friends were like really weirdos and on yeah. drugs or whatever. No, they are portrayed as in the right. And the government yeah. is very much portrayed as in the wrong. Yes, mm. yeah, it's a, an anti-establishment mm. drama. Yeah, definitely. and I think the anti-establishment thing is really important because I think if you look at dramas of the eighties versus dramas of the nineties, mm. there's a definite, definite shift there. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, like Boys in the Black stuff, um, even um, 
very much coup is mm. very much like even though he's the prime it's minister from the inside he's of literally the fighting the british yeah. deep state mm. yeah yeah um yeah absolutely and you have things like voice in the black stuff which was really it absolutely wore its politics on its sleeve mm. completely yeah. in a way that that was almost seen as kind of naff in the 90s mm. Like, do you know what yeah. I mean? Nihilism yeah. and apathy became more the thing. The idea of wanting to write something that made a political statement started to disappear. Um, and all of those dramas that weren't ashamed to have an opinion started to disappear. We talk about it in a previous, in one of the previous episodes. Um, it's in 94, the election in 94? Uh, 92. 92, yeah, yeah. where Labour lost, when they thought they were mm. going to win. And after that, so many people just gave up mm. on the notion of a progressive yeah. change. There's a, there's a demographic shift from people who were very much opposed to people who were in their 20s or you know their late teens or early 20s, mm. mid-20s, whatever, um, who were very anti-Thatcher, but Thatcher's gone and the country's changed and they're presented with this situation. They've got one last gasp at a Labour government mm. that they think is going to reverse all the things they don't like, and it fails. So yeah. there's a cultural turn. And the culture industries stop expanding and paying mm. better and things like that so you do have a demographic shift as well mm. away from that kind of thing um but yeah it's like a lot of those shows as well have when they're super real like i even think now even if you have super realistic dramas the institutions either they're like a copper and they kind of work for the institution mm. or mostly the institutions are invisible Hmm. That's the that's the weird shift between something like hmm. Boys from the Black stuff, where they're people in a particular area and they interact with those institutions and they you see them from their perspective. You see them as these. I think even in these Boys from the Black stuff, you, you always know? see them like when they're signing on. I think there's like a whole scene in the first episode where you get from the perspective of the woman at the signing on at the young doll center. Yes, yeah. and you're just looking through the the, the mm. wire. Yeah, yeah, the chicken wire. Um, and I think, and yeah, absolutely. And you've got you've got these constant interactions with the world around, and often, and with the establishment around. And yeah. the weird flip side that you then started to get in the nineties, which I think, arguably, in different ways, is still going on now, is instead of having that, you have this kind of grey null space. Mm. And I think possibly my best example of this is what's happened for a long time now to BBC Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. And so BBC Northern Ireland still has to make a number of dramas per year. That's like part of the quota of paying the TV licence. Right. But for a very, very, maybe even since the 90s, for a very long time, it wasn't cool to do anything about the troubles. Like, it wasn't, that wasn't the thing so that you it, did. Um, 20, 24 hours in heaven? Um, yes, which was, that was a single drama, and yeah. I know one of the guys who made yeah. it. it. That was, was like one of the first of times I've Nesbitt. seen a BBC Northern Ireland thing about It was called Five Minutes in Heaven, and it was brilliant, and it was a one-off drama, and it was based on a true story, and it was about, and it was about the troubles in a way, it was years later, but it was about going to talk to the person who'd, like, killed her son. No, it's killed his, killed his older brother. Killed his older brother, that's right. And he was right. planning to kill yeah. him. And the so five, minutes, five in minutes in heaven was, was the five minutes with this guy. Um, yeah, and it was a one-off. It was incredibly hard to get made and it was incredibly mm. rare in the landscape. And so mostly now what BBC Northern Ireland make are shows that could be set anywhere. So even though they're filmed yeah. in Belfast, they need to not mm. look like Belfast and that's one of the criteria. So um, Line of Duty, which is a great drama, mm. um, is filmed in Belfast. You wouldn't know it. Ah, yeah. Like, because they intentionally make it not look, because you need... And it's interesting, because in a way, obviously, Line of Duty is about... 
is about the establishment because you've kind of got cops investigating cops. But it kind of yeah. goes back to what you said. It's kind of like, it's okay because it's a cop investigating a cop. Mm. It's not like real people. Yeah. So it's like, we don't have real people in real places. We have grey spaces. Yeah. Mm. With, with establishment being removed. Mm. Or being the lead character. Yeah. Actually, is the yeah. other way of doing it. You're, think, you're working yeah. a job and your, your individualism isn't you being presented with a load of challenges. It's kind of you dealing with your inner turmoil much more yeah. than other things that are, are around you. Yeah. Like, I think that's definitely, that's like a function of the kind of changes that Thatcher made. Although she didn't abolish as many institutions as she would have liked, I think the desire for people to examine what had happened during Thatcher's era kind of goes away. So it's like, oh, I've got to go down the dole office and then uh, you go, yeah. it's a cut and then they're back. Yeah. So you don't yes. ever, even yeah, in kitchen sink dramas, even in ones that are meant to be super realistic, mm. you don't see their interaction with those things. That came back a little bit with like I, Daniel Blake. I was thinking Ken Loach did it with I, Daniel yeah. Blake, but that's a film rather than TV and, and that's quite recent. And it's rare but, in it's a return yeah. to that kind of super realism. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and then I'm... Um, Oh, actually, I was just thinking about kind of moving, rewinding back to the 90s a little bit. I think the last drama that was happy to wear its heart on its sleeve politically was Our Friends in the North. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, um, but even then, um, the, the shift, because um, like Our Friends in the North is 96. Yeah. Um, uh, it must be because the last episode's 95, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So do you want to do a summary yeah, of so, Our Friends um, in the North? Our Friends in the North, it follows the lives of four... Yeah, four people. Um, these four childhood friends, these three blokes and one girl. Um, in, and it starts off in Newcastle in the 70s? Yeah. yeah. I think it might even be late 60s. Might be. Might be. But anyway, it starts a long time ago. And each episode it covers a, spa- like a, a group of years. And there's a big gap between each episode. So you get to see them grow up from when they're... It starts off and they're 18. Mm. And it ends and they're... Old pensioners. And they look much more convincing as old pensioners than they do when they're 18. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Daniel, Daniel Craig in 96 dressed up as an 18 year old. Yeah. <laughs> He's got like that long floppy hair, hasn't he? Like, Actually, I don't hair. think it's as weird as Christopher Eccleston oh. being clearly in his 30s mm. but playing an 18 year old. <laughs> but all of them, I mean, I think definitely that first episode. You do have to get over the fact Mark that they're all Strong. talking about Mark Strong. Oh. Mark Strong, this like seven foot tall, 40 year old, 18 year old. Gina McKee probably get... is the closest mm. to looking okay at 18, no, 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 she no. still looks but, um, In the first episode as well, you get um, Daniel Craig's character, Geordie, being beaten by his abusive father, and it's him and um, Mark Strong, and they're being attacked by this angry alcoholic old man who is about two foot shorter than the pair of them. Yeah. <laughs> and you could say that, you know, it's telling a lot about the dynamics in abuse. It doesn't matter how big the person is, you know, especially if it's been going on for a long time. But really, it just, like, no, the casting is yeah. terrible. Well, although the thing is, the casting, it looks... No, the casting's good. Yeah, the like casting's the cast. amazing. It's got it, amazing it looks, actors there. Yeah, it mm. looks crazy at first because they're obviously not 18, but... It doesn't really matter because they're all so good. And I'm and it pretty it made all of their careers. Mm. Christopher Eccleston maybe was a he big was deal before because that. Of, um, but Mark Strong 
Absolutely, yeah, Mark Strong, absolutely it did. Mm. Gina McKee, absolutely it made her career. And Daniel Craig, I would still argue, was far better in Our Friends in the North than he's ever been. As oh, Bond. yeah, you know, you oh, know yeah. full well that when they were Amazing. looking for a new Bond, what they saw is when Daniel Craig is playing a homeless, mentally ill, alcoholic Geordie living on the streets of London, wandering about the place, complaining about the Labour Party, and they went, that's our Bond. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it covers so much, like, and it yeah. really does cover a lot politically because. So, um, Christopher Eccleston's character is very politically active. Yeah, he's he's he starts he starts off like very left wing, goes very very as, left wing. He starts wing. off as like he comes back from Alabama and he was he's like um, going to the civil rights yeah. marches, isn't he? Yeah, and he comes back to Newcastle when he's angry because it's not as colourful as Alabama, um, and he progressively moves further to the left, mm. then becomes an anarchist. Mm. Actually, no, they're tr- they're not anarchists; they're trots. They are revolutionary. Are they, they are revolutionary trots who are arming for a um, a revolution. They have one gun. They have one gun. Yes. And they shoot it at a wall. Yes. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's, it's not a great revolution. Um, but um, yeah, he and he ends up he ends up running for the Labour Party in the eighties with like in the time of militant. He's with militant, isn't he? Yeah. Um, but he fails and loses. And he's destroyed by a kind of Tory press smear campaign because yeah. I just point yeah. out how much of a trot he is. Yeah. Um, and then he just becomes a pho- photographer. He only finds mm. happiness when he gives up politics mm. later in his yeah. life. Um, and that, that I think is really telling. I think it's a completely mm. beautiful series and I think it's written with real honesty and I think part of that honesty, to go back to what you guys were talking about a couple of weeks ago, is he, he finds his happiness when he kind of has to accept that the world isn't going to mm. change and it's this kind of 90s thing of people just going, oh, well, maybe I'll be happy if I don't think maybe about I that anymore. Maybe I should focus on yeah. myself for yes, a while. Yes, and that's exactly, and that's what he does. For, that's yeah. the main difference. To, talking yeah. about him going to America, it reminds me, of course, he's, he's probably the closest thing to a Blairite in that because Gina McKee is Gina McKee joins the um, she's a new Labour MP she's a she's a new Labour MP but he has the exact well a similar trajectory to Tony Blair goes to America in like the mm. 60s and is really um, enamoured of like the liberal let's put it like liberal kind of uh, left wing politics mm. in America around race and all that kind of thing everything's so much more colourful everything's so much more important and, and simpler meaningful and simpler yeah he comes back and he finds like the old kind of like knotty institutional kind of things of mm. Britain with very established political parties, well, he gets in with political a, system. He gets in with a member of the House of Lords. Is he a member of the House of Lords? Um, yeah, and he's doing a he's doing a building program, and it was that so whole storyline was based on a real awful building program which Mm. was a furlong kind of um essentially like taking councillors on holiday in order Mm. for them to agree to build these tower blocks so it'd be like here come on holiday and then vote for my tower block Mm. over somebody else's tower block and the tower blocks were shit and disgusting and and yeah one of his first political experiences is a job for a guy who's like a labor councillor but who he finds out is corrupt and it's his first experience of being massively disappointed. And, and then he moves to London and becomes a trot. Yeah. yeah. But actually, nothing... I don't think he is a Blairite. He keeps, he keeps trying and being disappointed, like, for decades. Because obviously it begins in the late 60s mm. and it ends he in the 90s. He never moves to the right. No. Mm. No. Yeah, maybe. At all. He, maybe, he walks maybe you're away right. from it. I think maybe, like, culturally, it's, it's more of that kind of... You know, he's t- he, he comes out of it having tried everything mm. and is willing to just... He mainly just turns like, off, switches yeah. off. Whereas Gina McKee, she's the one who becomes sensible. 
She's the, she's the so, one who gets she gets pregnant at eighteen. Yeah, by Christopher by, no, Eccleston. No, no. By, by Tosca. <laughs> oh, by Tosca, by Mark Strong. No, you're Mark right. Strong, yeah, sorry. one of the only likable Tories who was ever on a TV program. But even then, he is portrayed a... as horrible, a dickhead, mm. and really stupid. He's, he's very he's... definitely a dick. Oh, I yeah. mean, he's sort of a likable dick, but I don't yeah. think there's any moment in the writing that implies that he's not. He's, he's friendly. Ever. He's nice, but at his core, he's selfish as well. But he's the he's the um, he's the new petty bourgeoisie mm. transformed by mm. Thatcher's because yeah. he runs a fruit and veg store. His parents run a pub. He was going to be a musician, but he's just not good enough. Yeah. Oh, actually, God, they're all fucking Tony Blair, aren't they? <laughs> Shit, I'd forgotten about that. He's Wait a failed second. musician who is uh, he owns a fruit and veg store, and then during the eighties, they free up. He doesn't own a fruit. He and doesn't. No, he has a van. His parents have a pub. Yeah, but no, when he's working, he has a van that he drives around for a veg. He does do that for yes, a bit, yeah. sorry, yeah, And he yeah. does. Oh, he, he re- and connection. He, yeah. Okay, it's a later episode. When he's working for a factory, who does he? St- who are they sending stuff to at the factory that's really dodgy? They're sending stuff to Rhodesia. Oh, oh God, they I'm are. just like, wow, tight when there's sanctions. Yeah, they yes. are. They're, they're breaking the sanctions. And he's working in the factory and he's got no idea... Why and he gets laid off because they're about to be caught and he doesn't understand why and he's like, what the fuck has yeah. Rhodesia got to do with me? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, they, he like, everything goes wrong for him. He loses all of his money. He leaves his wife. But then his life gets Because they're already around. quite, they, they become quite rich by the kind of 80s episodes. Well, no, he's not. Him and his new wife him do. Him and his new wife do, because his new wife is also a Tory and they make a load of money out of Black Wednesday. No, not Black Wednesday. Um, the housing crash in the 80s. Ah. They make a load of money out of that. Don't they? They sit on their they sit on their mortgage and they sit on their money and then they start buying up stuff. But then mm. they lose a load of money later on. It's interesting yeah. all the ups and downs. I think they I think you're right. I think they make a lot of money. They make a lot of money out of um, him being a slum landlord. And then they lose everything in, in the because 90s. actually it's really what happens is doing loads of spoilers here, but it's still totally mm. worth watching for anyone who hasn't seen it. <laughs> I mean, it's a twenty year old series. At some point, yeah. there's statute of limitations <laughs> that. Like. Yes. Um, but actually, what's really lovely about it is so he's. He's an awful slum landlord, and by this point he has a new wife, and he's a kind of nicer person because he's genuinely in love, and mm. she genuinely loves him. She doesn't think he's a dick, and she's like the only person mm. in the world apart from his mum. Oh god, they have a weird sex thing where they pretend to be Bill and Ben, the flower pot. It's so creepy, but they like they're really happy god, together with their weird that. sex thing. <laughs> like they could do. They like be boo each other. It's gross, <laughs> but they're happy. Um, but he's a slum landlord, and he's got all these properties, and they're shit. And she sees them for the first time. So she's been that mm. kind of like trophy mm. wife, never seeing the houses. She ends up seeing them for the first time and is disgusted, makes him sell all of them and put all the money into stocks and shares. And then Black, Black Wednesday, Wednesday right. Black and, Friday, they and they lose everything. And I remember it's a really sweet thing because she just says like, we'll just start again. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, actually, because she feels bad because it was her who mm. made them do it. Um, it's the one time he's not a dick. And mm. he says, we'll be okay, yeah. we'll start over. Mm. Um, but there's something, I don't know, there's something about all of those stories. It's like she tries to get him to do the right thing and they still lose. So there's definitely a recurring theme of trying mm. to do the right thing mm. and losing, mm. running all the way through it. Um, and then you have Geordie's depressing story of him running away from home because he's got some girl pregnant. <laughs> so maybe um, not trying to do the right thing there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he moves to London, starts working at a coffee shop and very quickly becomes a heavy for... In like. The Soho porn era, yeah, the swinging sixties. And who's Soho. he working for? Um, it's the actor. Uh, it's meant. Oh god, Malcolm. Malcolm McDowell. Yes. Yeah, yes. and it's supposed yeah. to be like tiny, not tiny Brogan, like um, Ray. 
the what's it Raymond Rebe- Paul Raymond Paul Raymond yeah. yeah it's supposed to be like that kind of era mm. but um and mm. he ends up in prison and then homeless very quickly after prison he ends up taking all of the fall because the the rich manage to protect themselves and get away. The yeah. truly evil guy who he works for manages to get away. Plus, wasn't There's he a... stopping his wife? He was. Yeah. His girlfriend. Yeah. yeah. Who was the love sorry, of his yeah. life, who he, he loses yeah. forever. Mm. Um, there's a brilliant line that Malcolm Medell says as things are kind of starting to change in the 70s. Um, and everyone else around him, everything is falling apart for them, but he knows he'll get away. And he just says, these are hard times for the little people. Mm. Mm. And then he goes to prison, and then... Yeah, his... not, not Malcolm McDowell, Geordie yeah. does. Geordie yeah. goes to prison, loses his mind, becomes a homeless alcoholic, and then is a mess from the mid to late 80s until the late 90s. Yeah. Yeah, or like mid-90s when the series ends. I mean, there's a, there's a little bit of hope for him at the very end, I think. Mm. There's moments of hope for all of them in their personal lives. Mm. But what there isn't... <clears throat> what happens is, is they all start out young and idealistic. And I'm not all of them want to change the world, but there's a real thread, partly because it's Nicky's story and he's the left-winger mm. um, of wanting to change the world. And in the end, the final point is kind of like, we changed a lot. Yeah. We could change each other and we impacted on each other. And that stuff is just beautiful, the way the four of them impact on each mm. other. But we were unable to change anything around us. There's really. definitely, and you've still got Mary kind of trying at the end because Mary yeah. goes from being kind of stay-at-home mum, and she's way too smart for that. Yeah, and circumstances for that. She's always the that. smartest one. Out she's of always the smartest one out of all of them. Um, yeah, um, and towards like once she's in her fifties and her kids are raised, she becomes a counsellor. She becomes an MP. Something she's been kind of putting off for a long time actually, because she always looks after other people, and she kind of realizes that being a counsellor will mean looking after other people. Mm. Um, and so, again, there's an interesting kind of battle going on there between kind of do you go for the just looking out for number one and all that kind of thinking at the time or do you try and look out for other people? And But again, there's still a darkness to it. So she does become a counsellor and she's clearly trying her hardest, actually. But there's the world around her is kind of fracturing and new labour are coming in and even her mm. own son, who's now a grown-up, um, gives her shit about how her party's no better than the Tories. Yeah. yeah, and by then... In the last episode, when by you then she's already free, in. She's already she's kind of in that Blair White universe, yeah. By then, you get the thing of... Um, there's this lovely way it cycles back, because her son's a copper, mm-hmm. and the main family that he's dealing with, and the young boy who's like, I think... It's like, if it was Blair times, he would have been given an asbo. But he's like mm-hmm. this little ten-year-old who's like stealing cars yes. and attacking yeah. old women. And he's the grandson, I think, of... Geordie's illegitimate child yeah. mm. and it has like this sinkhole estate of all of this these cycles and it's real grim yeah yeah um, yeah it really is so it def- it's like this last political drama that's willing to be to wear its heart on its sleeve in that way but it's um, it ultimately kind of ends up being, but we can't really change anything yeah mm. I think it tells like it tells like the kind of pre pre 90s story really well in that they're the boomer generation and I mean we say a lot about the boomers having all the opportunities mm. and all the thing but like if you're working class and you're a boomer your chances are not not That's the, the idea that you know you could go into music you become a music star you go into politics mm. or you mm. could you know uh, go into show business like I mean Geordie does peripherally um, not really he's a bouncer he's a bouncer in a He's a bouncer in a like. I don't think that's going into show Tell me anything more show business <laughs> <laughs> than being a bouncer in the heyday of Soho sleeves. I mean, he does. Well, I mean, fucking. Dancer, uh, I mean, but, you know. if you're talking like media or something, like Thingy, uh, what's his name, who owns the. Um... Desmond. 
Richard Desmond. Yeah, started off as a pornographer. Yeah, that's well, the way. Started you, off, yeah. still is. Yeah, still is. Um, but like, yeah, there's definitely that kind of um, thread of dispelling kind of some of the things about boomers, and also there's the end result that I don't know whether the series draws, but I definitely do that they they don't have the same backup when they fail, they mm. fail hard, which happens mm. to all of yes. them. Mm. Yes. And they don't they don't have that backup, and even going into the '90s when they've kind of Geordie hasn't, but I mean. Tosca has, to a certain extent, approached a kind of lower middle, lower to middle well, middle class. In the last episode, Tosca's bought a boat. Mm. Yes, he's got yeah. his boat bar. He's reopened. He's basically done what his parents have done, mm. and he's opened a bar mm. where he can play music. Mm. <laughs> That's yeah. the whole point of it. It's so adorable. <laughs> and for all the for all the innovations and for all the life changing opportunities supposedly offered to them by capitalism and by their success within that system, they're still at heart. Mm. They don't have. The resources to actually become mm. power brokers, mm. other than Gina Mackin, Gina, uh, Gina McKee. Gina McKee, who has to attach herself, like goes to the Labour Party and mm. gains power that way. Mm. You know, it's it's an odd one. Yeah. Well, well, I think partly what makes it really good is that it's it's really reflective. I mean, the yes. one who does yeah. the best, mm. even though he has times when he loses all his money, like they're all really working class from this really working class area. In Newcastle, it's mm. really authored, which I think is one of the things that makes it really good. It's so mm. clearly the writer is Nikki Christopher Eccleston's character. It's so mm. obviously drawn from him and his friends. Also, a ton of the people he spent time researching, like he went to see the councillor who ended up in prison for corruption, like loads, yeah. like the one he's based on, um, and all the Met stuff. He researched all of that really yeah. intensely. But it's this really author piece, and it reflects. I think a kind of ultimately a sad reality. The one who does manage to make the most of being born in the boomer generation is the Tory. Yeah. He is the one who's okay at the end. Yeah. The ones who really care about something, one of them ends up, he's just so broken and he has literally nothing. Mm. Um, one of them is has kind of given up on any kind of political change and the other is trying to make political change happen but trapped within yeah. a shit Labour Party. Mm. Um, so I think it's it's honest. Yeah. It's grim, and, but it's honest. And the successful one ends up, again, I don't know whether like it was intended, but ends up, uh, so he always wanted to play in a band and he really liked the animals. Like, yes. Of House of the Rising Sun. in the first episode. <clears throat> they want to be like the animals. They want to, yeah, to, to, to follow that like trajectory. Mm. And at the end, his big moment is on his boat, I think it is, he gets on an Animals Tribute Act and he's going to play keyboards for them. Yeah, because mm-hmm. originally it's going to be Geordie, but Geordie has disappeared because he's yeah. an alcoholic. And so he takes over and does the keyboards. He does it. the keyboards for an Animals Tribute Act who are actually in the show, it's the animals. Is it? Yes, it's oh. the actual band. <laughs> um, but he's kind of... His, his peak of success is recalling the nostalgia of stuff mm. of a time that economically he would never go back to. Yeah. You know, it kind of mm. mirrors that mm. kind of stuff we were talking about with like the later Blair years when yeah. nostalgia comes back in a, 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 a really huge way. Mm. Yeah. And uh, we can go on to the other two shows that are more late 90s. Yes, yeah. Um, first one would be This Life, ah. which you've never seen. So not quite late 90s. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not would have been Pre just Blair. after Our Friends of the North one, I think. Mm. Maybe even the same year. Yeah, mm. was Our Friends of the North on BBC One or Two? Two, BBC Two. And so was this life. Back when BBC Two was a thing. It was a thing. Like, was there used they... to be quite a lot of dramas on BBC Two. And Red and Oh. Yeah. And um, Buffy. But that's a different 90s programme. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, do you want to say, tell yeah. us about this? So I've, I've never 
I know of this life and I know it's like quite important. It was quite popular at the time, but I've never seen it. Uh, what's it about? Okay. <laughs> I really need you to explain this to me. I will <laughs> we were talking about it last this life week. to you because, um, well, yeah, I thought it would, I thought it'd be really interesting to talk about because, in some ways, I think it's the most '90s of '90s TV shows. Yeah. Um, I think it's so whether people like it or not, it's almost it's the kind, kind of thing of... that only someone who hasn't seen. Um, oh my god, I've forgotten what it's called. Fresh Prince of Bel Air. No, the um, we were watching it at Matt's. The show about hunting people down. The Interceptor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we're talking about drama. That's drama. You see everything. You see the you see the Kentish countryside and a man in a leather jacket pretending to be a hawk. You do. You do. Would you like to draw any conclusions about what that says about the era? Um, Rapacious never... capitalism. Always on the door. Always on the doorstep. Stroke in a helicopter. About how the Scottish are always trying to keep the English down in the English countryside. <laughs> that seems about okay. right. Sorry, go on about this one. <laughs> The poor man's interceptor. <laughs> the poor man's interceptor. Um, okay, so this life... Um, we'll do yeah. a later show entirely about interceptor. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, that probably is a good idea. But um, I'm not going to watch loads of interceptor for you. That's not happening. Um, Don't need to. It's all <laughs> Will it just be you on your own? Yes. Like, did it have a, it wasn't the one with Annika Rice in it was it it was no, like the it low was, rent one it was the like, one that they did after that where they tried to up the stakes and then they upped the right. stakes too much it was I too know. hot for TV and then they went into Crystal Maze the same like show creators oh yeah okay <laughs> so they found their feet in the end creatively and mm -hmm. that's good to know it was a mad game show designer who I think probably has an elaborate edge maze at his house <laughs> <laughs> but anyway sorry this life this life yes okay um so, yeah, I think it's just such, it says so much about the time. And I think it's, like I said, regardless of whether or not people like it, mm. um, I think there's something about how much it captures the mood that is interesting to look at. Okay, so it is about four young wannabe lawyers slash solicitors. I've watched all mm -hmm. of this life more than once. I mm -hmm. still don't totally understand the difference between a lawyer and a solicitor. There is no difference. Okay, that's good to know because I never figured it out. I don't care if there is. But there then is I no wrote for a show about ballet dancing. I mean, I wrote for that and I still don't really understand the ballet moves. So no. it, that, it's really on me. They're not understanding. It's all the same moves. move. <laughs> you should really be method writing. So you have to become a ballet dancer in order to be able in to write In order to be able to write dancing. about a ballet dancer. <laughs> a solicitor is a kind of dancer. Okay, yeah, so you've got solicitors, which are kind of dancers. So you have got four young 20-something, they kind of graduated a couple of years ago. Five. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Got the Welsh one. <laughs> well, that's like everyone else. Yeah. To remind everyone about the Welsh one. Mm -hmm. um, and they live in a house shed together in London, in basically central London. Fuck. Are and we talking proper zone they one? They live next to Farringdon. This isn't. I, I mean, maybe zone they two. Live next, but, no, I mean, they live next to Farringdon. Oh wow! Like it's God. really central. And they yeah. commute to Chancery Lane. Yeah. Such a hard commute. <laughs> <laughs> These millennials don't know how easy they have it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of the points though. Okay, I'll keep doing the summary and then we can go into okay. the details of it. Okay, so yeah, five, five young solicitors slash lawyers. Yep. All end up living in a house chair together. Um, I remember when it first came on, not watching it for a while, because why would I care about solicitors or lawyers? Yeah. So I didn't watch mm. it for ages. And then probably caught it one night. It was always on at 20 past 10. Mm. So if you got really bored at the pub, which I think is what happened to me, and you left the pub early, <laughs> uh. 
that is what you would watch. So that was that was the kind of that, and that was how it caught me the first time. It was mainly the point of BBC Two, like back then, because also it had um, Open University as well for when your your friends have fallen asleep, but you're you know you've had you've had about eight pints and you're ready to learn. (laughs) 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 Um, But somehow, I mean, obviously there'll be lots of circles where this didn't happen. Mm. In my circle, at like Art College in Norwich, very quickly everyone we would all leave the pub in order to go home and watch this live. Well, it was it on became the front page massive. of papers. It was on the front page of papers. Can the you imagine a BBC series was ignored, Two show but on the But the second front... series was properly adored. Mm. Anyway, back to what it's about. Lawyers okay. Lawyers, living... And they... And I guess I, it kind of, it's about their hopes and dreams, really, which, again, mm. who cares about the hopes and dreams of lawyers? But mm. actually, the characters are quite well drawn, and maybe more importantly for its success, it really represented something about the time. Mm. So Andrew Lincoln, who's obviously done pretty well since then, yeah. had quite a good career since yeah. this life, um, he <laughs> plays a guy called Egg. Don't know why he's called Egg. Because it was written by an upper class woman and Egg seems like a perfectly reasonable name. A perfectly reasonable northern-like nickname. I think he's like from the south. But his boss calls, he's from the south and his boss calls him Egg, which yeah. is like, like that's a, where it gets confusing. It's like, like his boss so at like Chambers his calls him name. Egg. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when they like have, uh, have a character that's like, oh, this guy, he's from Manchester, he's called G- Giggsy. Hmm. And everyone calls him Giggsy, his name's Brian Giggs. Well, Egg, Egg is obsessed with football. He is literally everything ah, that I despise about this, 90s man. This is, this is the route into 90s, like... <laughs> there's, yeah, yeah. There's, when they move in, there's him putting up his Blues Brothers poster, mm-hmm. his Eric Cantona signed Man United t-shirt in a frame. Yes. Um, and there's no Aces poster for there definitely There is an Oasis maybe. poster. Wow. It's very much in the first the walls of their bedroom. Just look where we are, mm. <laughs> in case you weren't sure. Um... But at the time, like 1996, I mean, that's like peak. I followed football in that mm. era. That's like no, that was it was absolutely of that's its that's moment. peak zeitgeisty. Eric Cantona, Oasis totally. at Nebworth, and yeah, no, yeah. It, it got all of those things right. And the thing is, and his character, so he loves football more than anything, and talks a lot about how yeah. much he loves football. And it's all he really cares about. He's obnoxious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Like He's obnoxious, but that, he felt real and he was real to a lot of people mm. I know. Um, and Definitely. I guess that's the thing. But he dreams... Actually, this is where... This kind of goes back to what we were saying about our friends in the North. He's got no idea what he wants to do, mm. but he definitely dreams of doing something. So he gets a job as a solicitor in Ep 1, mm-hmm. even though in his interview, so it kind of opens with his interview, and he's pretty much like, I don't really know what the point is of he anything. He just talks about football. That's, he talks about football, and he talks about not knowing what the point is of anything. And they give him oh, the job. Yeah, he just walks into a job that he didn't want. Yeah. He walks into a job as a solicitor. Is he, is he, he meant to have want. done a law degree? He's done a degree. Oh, yeah, yeah. He just kind of did the degree because he thought he should do a sensible degree right, because okay. Originally he, he couldn't to be become a footballer. A footballer. Yeah. Right. So he's like, he wanted to be a footballer, couldn't do that, did this sensible degree, hmm. walks into a job which he doesn't really want, which he says he doesn't want because it was the 90s and you could do that and you'd still get the job and they just kind of go, oh, he's a character. Um, and he's so trapped he walks... in his miserable existence, earning substantially more than the minimum wage, yeah. living in a house share in and he And he hates it and he quits within a few episodes. Hmm. And essentially, the rest of the two series is him trying to find himself and figure out what the hell he's going to do with his life. Ah, uh, right. Is he on the dole? 
He does sign on for a bit. He works in a sandwich shop for a bit. His girlfriend pays for him for a bit. His dad moves in for a bit, but also gives him some money, but then his dad becomes more of a burden. Right. But essentially, he is on a journey of trying to figure it out. And I mm. guess what I think is so very 90s about that is that he's got the space and the time to... It's not... But what's interesting, right, is that it's not that he had a dream. Like, it's not like... Nikki and our friends of the North dreams of changing the world. He doesn't dream. He's got no specific dream because mm. by this point, having a dream is kind of like I said before, it's kind of naff. Yeah. There's nothing cool about really dreaming or wanting or believing. That's all gone out of fashion. Yeah. yeah. So apathy is the kind of uh, mood he's of the, the day. Worst Gen Xer. He's yeah. So he definitely wants So it's the British something. version of like dropping out, like mm. that kind well, of thing. Well, he's he's gonna find himself, but yeah. there's no. There's no purpose to the... F it's like nothing matters. So it's like there's no dream to chase. He just wants to not be a lawyer. He wants to be something. But that thing, it doesn't matter what the thing is. Mm. That's what I was trying to say about how famous. 90s it is. Yeah, although it was slightly before it was just about being famous. Powerful? Actually, something arty. No, he no. doesn't care about... No, because no. again, that wasn't really very 90s. No, there's a bit he talks, power, about, really. he talks about um, wanting to be... He, want, he talks about wanting to be a football manager at one point, And he dreams about it. And it's because that manager had a passion and he doesn't mm. have a passion mm. and he laments right. his hard life sure. because mm. it's very hard for him being someone who walked no into passion. university walked into a nice house mm. walked into a job but doesn't particularly like mm. it a kind of thing that everyone now has like <laughs> would dream we of dream having. Of, yeah i mean we were we kind of like all came up in the period where the, the slacker mm. like was a cultural mm. like figure mm. and you you kind of you maybe didn't know anybody who was like who was able to kind of coast mm. like that but it was You're definitely a thing that you thought could happen and mm. that kind of ages those kind of dramas mm. yeah more than fucking anything i cannot like even imagine being able to do that now mm. unless well, yeah. you were from a certain certain socio-economic yeah bracket. well and also i like, think if you if you wrote the TV drama that talked about that character now i don't mm. know who'd watch it or relate to it yeah. whereas then People watched it and related to it, and there was, and it's interesting because it's kind of like so it was, it was a um, college at the time. Aspirational. Um, it was definitely aspirational. No, you yeah. wanted, you wanted to no. be him. Well, not him. No, he you wanted really to be the in their character, house. The main characters. Right. He uh, wanted their you lives. You wanted to be their friends and all that kind of. Definitely. Thing. No, the one I wanted to be, who I think is I also uber nineties. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't want to be her. <laughs> I didn't want to be any of their friends. Oh, okay. Uh, well, you were a bit younger. No, they are definitely all monsters. But, you know, I was at an age where I was pretty susceptible. Mm -hmm. And I definitely, I lived in Norfolk. I thought living in London was definitely the coolest thing mm. ever. So watching them live in London and even getting off the tube seemed amazingly aspirational. Yeah. Um, and they always had enough money to drink. Vaunted ambition They the didn't artist. have, it wasn't like, it wasn't a boomer thing. They didn't have infinite money at all. Yes. In fact, there's quite yeah. a nice line early on um, with... One of the characters I'm going to talk about next, Anna, where she says that, um, yeah, the only people who can afford to be young are the old. Yeah. Mm. Yes. I, I think yeah. that rings true now. Um, there's a lovely bit where she's, when she's, she's really angry about having to work for the CPS. Mm. And she said she, she's sick of living in a bedsit, prosecuting other people who live in bedsits. Mm. Yeah. Which is, yeah. yeah. There's so, sorry, Carol. Well, yeah, well, just essentially, I was going to say, so it's not like this magic time. It's not like they all have money. Mm. It's not like that. We're definitely in a time where there was 
things you have to struggle for, you're not always going to pay your bills yeah. on time. Some of them, the ones who do care about being lawyers, are having to struggle for money to try and make it happen. Right. So we're not in like a magical period, but there's still just enough money and just enough hope to go around that people can afford apathy and nihilism. Yes. Yeah, you definitely need a certain amount of money to be able to afford yeah. that, that level of, of thing. Like, because like, yeah, saying that they're not they're not like boomers. There's, although you know, again, we we joke about boomers and take piss out of boomers for you know having everything. There's still certain criteria that came along with the boomer dream of owning the house and having oh. the two cars in the garage and and all that kind of thing. So you have to play by the rules. You have to yeah. conform to a certain lifestyle. You have to uphold certain standards, which definitely comes through the 80s with all the middle class, like mm. all the like cream of the working class, if mm. you like, lifted up to the middle class by buying mm. their, their own council, council houses and, and things like that. There are certain conditions that are kind of expected. They're not enforced, but they're, they're, they're expected. So kind of Generation X always felt like a kind of reaction to mm. that, where like they were specifically subverting the things that their parents were, mm. were doing. Do you know what I mean? Definitely. So the other main character, the one I wanted to be, Anna. I mean, there were lots of other characters, but I think Anna and Egg are the most interesting in mm. terms of how very 90s <laughs> they were. Um, and Anna was Scottish. Um, poor, she's the one who, who was living in a bedsit at the start of the series. She really struggles to get work. Yeah. Um, and ends up kind of squatting at a solicitor. So she'll kind of like, they don't give her a proper job, but she can like get paid for Pick doing... the jobs that they turn yeah. in. Right, yeah, so you like okay. get a pile of briefs and it's like nobody in the office wants this. Here you go, see, go down yeah, to court. Yeah. So that's what she ends up doing. Um, but she's so, she so feels like, I don't know, there's something interesting about the kind of female hero of her. She doesn't... She's very much a 90s female she's hero. Very, there's, yeah. there's lots of lines of, I don't want... Um, I'd never want to talk to talk to a man that's too intimate. I just want to shag him. Yes, definitely. Uh, yeah. She parties really, really hard. Um, she doesn't really conform in any way to anybody's expectations, which seemed and that's shown really by her leopard print coat. Oh god, she wears this awful <laughs> leopard print coat. It's awful. Um, but the, yeah, there's something. But again, it kind of goes back to that nihilism thing. It seems she doesn't really give a fuck about much at all. Um, she does fall in love during the course of the series mm. with the posh boy, but mostly, and she wants she wants to be a lawyer because she wants money and she wants power. Right, yeah, there and we that's go. kind of fine. Like, do you know what I mean? Is she ever portrayed as like a villain for wanting no, power? Not at all. No, no. it's just normal. No, then, then she's portrayed as quite sensible for wanting money and power. Yeah, but properly right. in the nineties. Yeah, and it's cool. Yeah. She's definitely cool. Because I think she like, drinks hard, she parties hard, she fucks hard, and she wants money. Yeah, so it's, she's like driven. She's like kind of the the spillover from the eighties, like greed is good, mm, Gordon Gecko mm, kind of character, where it's like it's absolutely okay to mm, drive after mm, everything you want. With yeah. Except a lot of the time, those characters oh were guys. So she's uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, she's the she's it. the one coming out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like the only time politics really comes up is with the posh boy deciding whether he takes a fraud case. Mm that's going to affect his dad and there the only like the the politics stuff comes up because it's a big fraud case it's a, like a lot of stuff that's mm. in all the papers and it's all like really bad and but the only real thing that he worries about is how this will affect his relationship with his dad yeah not whether it's like mm. the right thing to do yeah no that any because idea those big, those, kind of morals those, big those big moral yeah. questions are for are for other people because oh, yeah. we have one way to to live but, now but even if we don't even if we don't define it we've reached mm. the least worst political mm. system yeah so we just need to work within that because mm. i was going to say that's the other like thing i always get from uh, generation x there's like there's not i think that's probably an outlier the one like they're very specific types of characters the ones mm. the gen x characters who go after power because mm. like what characterizes that generation is 
this absolute like avoidance of any kind of power. Mm. Like they know, like there's the, the kind of affected cynicism because mm. they know everything. Mm -hmm. They know how things really work. Mm. They know how shit the world is. Everything's mm. crap and all that. But they also have a kind of like moral innocence where they're, they're not really expected to make any of those big decisions in their own lives. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, that's basically X character. So actually yeah. it kind of plays both. But that's, and in a way he's kind of opting out of ever having to make any of those yeah. decisions and think, it's yeah yeah because like there's a i mentioned it in an earlier episode but the adam curtis um odeerism mm. uh thing where the news presents you with kind of two opposing sides um mm. and if you couldn't find a good side to root for one that you could morally support mm. you would kind of have a kind of affected like ah oh, well that's the way the world is and that allows the viewer to maintain that kind of moral innocence, yeah. like there's no particular thing I should be doing here, mm. and it sounds like yeah, it's got it's got plenty of that. Lots mm. of that, no, definitely. Yeah. There's no kind of moral. There are no moral decisions to make, really. Apart from there's who you're just shagging. who you're shagging and just trying to be happy. Mm. So it might not always be easy for them to be happy. Like I said, their lives aren't perfect. They're not always mm. easy. But the end goal is trying to be happy. It's no deeper than that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you yeah. do get, and it's still like I think in a lot of ways character-wise it holds up because they're really well-written characters. Mm. Um, mm. But their their drive, what matters to them is that, and it's definitely that kind of and to care too much about anything else would be kind of. Oh yes. yeah, so ca caring is dumb. Caring is dumb. Yeah. Caring like, is the worst a bit thing with, you can um, do. Matthew McFadden. Mm. So Matthew McFadden is no. Who plays the posh boy? Oh, I can't remember. No, it's not. No, Matthew it's not Matthew McFadden. McFadden. It's one of the other British posh boys. Um, it's yeah. one of the other ones. Is it the guy who plays the posh guy in Pirates of the Caribbean? It yes. Is. Yes, I don't know his name. I saw him in something else recently where he was Jack playing something. another posh psychopath. Yeah. yeah. But um, there's a bit with him when he's talking about uh, the, talking about the fraud case. Mm. It's like, it was in all the papers and he's talking to Egg and Egg's just like, mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing, like, you're supposed to be on Egg's side. Egg's you the cool are. one. Because Egg doesn't want his job. Mm. <laughs> No, and Egg just wants to talk about football. Is he portrayed as kind of work, coming from a working class background? Though? Egg, it's not. Again, this is very 90s. Muddied. Class is not talked about that much. No. One of them, it's Miles, not. is very much someone who comes from money. Everyone else is just kind of like... There's the classless yeah, kind there's of... No... The, everybody else is the middle yeah. and there's only a few elites. Definitely. That's definitely a very Blairite yeah. Yeah. kind of... Um, it does the standard lawyer thing if they have a guy who works in the office who's a working class guy mm. who kind of... Which apparently is a really big thing in law firms. They like the kind of guy, I don't even know what the role is, but they like organised shit and they decide who gets what, what case. Mm. And apparently that's traditionally, because you don't need to train to be a solicitor for that, that's traditionally like quite a working class role. So they have a kind of East End guy doing that. Um, but again, it kind of ties into the whole thing because he's doing fine for money, even though he didn't, in fact, they mm. joke about the fact he's the yeah, only one in them with a pension. Yeah. Um, and he's younger than them. because it's so, so it is, it's kind of like... It's all this mush. Everyone exists in this grey, null space mush yeah. of nothing really matters, so let's get fucked. Mm. Yeah, which then leads us on to the other series in the 90s, which had a very similar push, but mm. a bit of change, is Spaced. Yeah, Which is a bit drama. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, very 90s, though. Super 90s. It's very, it's, very, it's, it's, it's the mm. refuse of the right. 90s because the 90s has lost all of its kind of oomph. Mm. By 99, you can definitely feel it. So you're left with just... Referencing well, other things. Referencing, yeah. That references mm. other things. Yeah. But one of the main things in space is, first off, like, their rent. 
Yeah, <laughs> I always... I told you to note this down. I noted it down. It was £90 a week for a two-bedroom flat. Holy shit. And it's meant... I think it's filmed in yeah, um, Highgate or something, isn't yes. it? Yes. No, yeah. I don't think I it think is Highgate. I think it's quite Highgate, archway. It's... I don't think it's quite. It's posh as ah. Highgate. But it's, it's still pretty close to yeah. town. But, um, like... but by the time... But with Space, they're not doing their jobs that they want to do. Mm. Yes. They we're are only both... three years later yeah. in terms of when it came on. And they're also the generation. They're also the generation who are entirely immersed in pop culture and mm. are going into pop co- like pop culture mm. industries. Yeah. One's mm. uh, Daisy's a writer and she got a third in humanities, which is what she wanted. About she got it. a third in humanities <laughs> at Kingston, which is what um, what was it? Uh, thingy from EastEnders got. Um, Michelle from EastEnders is one of the funny jokes. Um, really and funny. she wants to be a journalist, although she hasn't tried it. She thinks she'll be quite good at it. Mm. And Tim, um, he wants to be uh, he wants to be a comic book illustrator. He wants to work, yeah. work for Dark Star. It's very yeah. 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 But he um, works in a comic book shop. Yes, um, part time. Yeah, mm. um, they're able to survive living. I with Daisy, mm. she barely works. Daisy barely works. She gets the odd crap job that she doesn't really keep for very yeah. long. There's yeah. the whole thing with her going on the doll, mm. which is they're quite great episodes. Yeah, um, but they survive they on survive. very little yeah. money. Having said that, mm. they do. But you can just you can see all these shifts because yeah, they survive on fuck all money, but mm. their flat is shit. It might still be close, yes. but it's not the this life flat, is which a, is like a massive house and it's oh, beautiful. Yeah. And it is a first floor in a three-floor house time. or whatever. They yeah. have to move, up, move like... out and out and out and out. And yes. Out. Yeah. Their landlady is a failed Olympic star. Yeah, who's a, she was a groupie for various bands she, or something. The main thing is she was, a, she was an Olympic star who'd never drunk before. And then the night before the tryouts, her boyfriend said, oh, try this. And then she tried that. And then she ends up ruining her entire, entire career. And, lives, and they live, um, one of the other tenants is Mark Heap, the artist who specialises mm. in pain and fear. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but there's, there's interesting stuff going on. So you've got, there's less money, with only three years later, yeah. but there's less money. They there's, do focus on the lack of money. And they focus on the lack of money. Specifically, it's a plot line, they go to cheap pubs, you know, so we're kind of, we're not in the same financial security of just a few years before. And that's interesting because we're kind of Blair years as well. So mm. clearly he hasn't changed the world because... Mm. Something people are now <laughs> yeah absolutely um yeah. So a, but you've also got i guess there's something they're not doing the jobs they want to do mm-hmm. whereas in this life most of them are even mm-hmm. though egg isn't but that's because he doesn't know what he wants they're to young do. professionals they're young exactly As whereas now to... he's like i want to be an artist but i'm not and i can't afford yeah. to be so i'm doing this job i want to be a writer but i can't afford to be and i'm not so i'm doing this job yeah. having said that it was still a time when you could hope and dream to do things like be an artist or be a writer mm. yeah. and like you know I teach on a screenwriting MA there are still people out there who dream of being writers and you know but I, know, I think it's getting on <laughs> totally do what do you think pays roots. for this equipment roll up roll up in your covered wagon <laughs> unveil the sign before rolling into the uh, no. I still want a covered wagon now that would be so much better quickly teaching your MA before getting out to the next town before they realise that that's not going to help you get an agent <laughs> Loads of like glass bottles in the back of it. <laughs> Clinking. Drink this potion. Holly's <laughs> creative miracle tonic. <laughs> but yeah, they do um, hope. They still, yes, that's, I guess that's what I'm getting at. I think, a, I think it's, it's more just, misplaced it's though, isn't it? It is misplaced oh, yeah. and it's that's like, part uh, of it. Yeah. I, I want to kind of do that, but like Tim is, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg. Mm. Held back by his kind of crippling doubt about whether he's any good. 
and mm. Daisy, who's again has a kind of cripple, it has a kind of crippling doubt. But she's kind terrible. Of, Everything more, she does. more buried, bad. more buried under layers of bullshit. <laughs> yeah, you're right. She blags She more. she more fully embraces the nature of like mm. the blag economy, which we are fucking living in the middle of now. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Well, they do it really nicely because she's in. Um, 2010 and W1A mm. essentially playing the character that Daisy in yes. her dreams could become. Yes. Who's a horrible multimedia outreach blagger. Yeah. <laughs> who has no talent and no skills. A, a non-job like, non who has got mm. there by the fact that she's there. I have nightmares mm. about that kind of person. Uh, yeah. I have come across more than one mm. having, you know, working in the job that I do. Yeah. Mm. But, um, yeah, there's still this hope though. There's um, hope for themselves. I don't think there's again. There's no. There's politics. no. There's no. Or, there's or no, no hope for a better world the, or yeah. wider world. Again, there's we're still really in a place where it's like personal dreams, not wider dreams. By this not. point, though, any awareness of the outside world has really fallen away, and it's mm. all focused entirely on themselves mm. and their memories. Mm. Yes. yes. There's constant yeah. like pop yeah. culture flashbacks. There's all this kind of shit. It's the recycling of. It was getting to that point where I think like. There's an element in the earlier to mid '90s where the so like the under under Thatcher, the sight of all terrible things and bad things and the worst possible things that could mm -hmm. happen to Britain happen in the winter of discontent mm -hmm. and with the troubles. So you've got you yeah. know men in flares mm -hmm. being hauled off for Birmingham bombings and you've got people standing in job queues and all that kind of thing. And that entire aesthetic in the mid '90s, I feel like transfers to a sense of like outdatedness so when you get to gen x you've got people kind of if they're they're ironically making fun of mm. the 70s you know like kitschy stuff like mm. game shows from the 70s are really popular because they're so bad mm. do you know what i mean it's, yeah and it's, it's the to, like, sight think for being shit yeah that's it's when the, that starts to happen it's the sight of badness mm. but by the late 90s because this kind of nostalgia machine's been in operation you have people looking back at things like the evil dead which mm. you know when it came out it's meant to be so bad it's meant to be so mm. like cheesy and corny and terrible but there's this newfound appreciation of it which mm. you can bring mm. back for ultra cool rep yeah you know mm. yeah absolutely yeah like the 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 recycling of that kind of thing and like mm. yeah you're saying like they they seem to it seems to be like a focus of like i know we've only looking at specific shows but you can definitely see a, a, a thing of like there's very wide horizons for people in our friends in the north mm. That mm. kind of uh, for um, sorry, what's the first one? Edge of Darkness, dealing mm. with big things mm. and big mm. things, and you interact with things. You you know vaguely what's yeah. going on. Our friends in the north narrows that focus down a bit more. Mm. This life narrows it down more to mm. personal lives that are kind of good. And then Spaced has a really very narrow focus where if I mean, as a weird outlier, they do actually deal with the job center in one mm. episode mm. in a very like yeah. in depth yeah. way. But it's still really it affects them. It's mm. very, very micro focused then, on their particular perspective of what then, they want. It's an opportunity to do a, do a whole reference to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm. Yeah. But yeah. The, to be fair, they are the, the, the things that we're talking about. I did choose them quite well, mm. specifically <laughs> to point out this. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. It's oh, like no the self <laughs> now, just a self congratulatory note. Yes, you're right. There is a thematic tie-in. So to wrap up, I was thinking we'd go from the stuff that we were making in this country and watching in this country that were about us to the stuff that we... They were definitely not about us. I don't well, not about us. ever been about us. No, but not about us specifically. <laughs> I was but, um, a bit like the guys in space. Yeah? Well, I literally you moved really to were. London. No, you but moved I moved to London because you want to 
fucking script writing competition. Yeah, but I wanted to be a writer. Yeah, but you were literally a working writer. Not when I first came, I wasn't. Um, and we all like came from Norwich and got our house. That's why we like stayed so much and like got our house and was like living with, you know, someone who wanted to be an animator, someone who wanted to be an artist, and to go back to the this life theme, my then partner who really didn't know what he wanted to do, but he did like football. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like a kind of TV genre mashup. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, it's yeah. nothing to do with us because like by okay, so ninety. So Space was 99? The first yeah. series of Space was 99, and then the second, I think, was like 2000, 2001. Mm. Yeah, the reason I like Yeah, yeah so, like, yeah, that's me, like, why, hello, marijuana. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, by that point, I was like, why, hello, small child. I'm no longer living this life <laughs> of drinking all the time at the cheap pub. I'm at home now. <laughs> but, yeah, so the stuff that we brought in for America, and the the... The way that changed massively and to like, in a callback to our last episode of how Blair ended up being, how it all changed from, for example, Dynasty, which mm. was the most greed is good show ever. I mean, that's pure like about rich people, which is there's plenty of examples of that yeah. still. Isn't yeah, there? but the Dynasty was a massive success in this country. Yeah, yeah. It was a big time success. Um, and then the main show that I want to talk about, which was probably... Like, it was before um, The Sopranos and Six Feet Under came onto Channel 4, mm. um, the BBC bought the first series of 24. Yes. And the just the change. Like, everybody's, everybody was watching it. Mm. Everybody was talking about it. I remember it was because I was at college when that was on. Yeah. Um, and it's just torture porn. Well, there's, like, it's you just can definitely tell the race difference. Race-baiting... Fear of the other. Yeah, but that like you can like the, in the British context. If you're examining it in a British context, mm. you always had like those um, coppers who don't take no for an answer kind of mm. murder mystery detective mavericks mm, shows. Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's what important I mean. to be a maverick. Kind of, you know, <laughs> more less so, but like yeah, touch of frost and mm. and all that kind of mm. thing. But you never had it to the extreme that mm. twenty four yeah. went to. And, and obviously, twenty four cons- went madder as it went on. Like, in the, I think it's like within the first couple of episodes in the second series, you have him like turning and just saying, "Pass me the hex." Yeah, it was the first episode of the second series when, like, he's um, yeah, he's he he literally tries to cut someone's head off. Yeah, we didn't try. I think at does. one point he does cut someone's head off. He does. But the first the episode he doesn't. He, yeah, yeah, that's I what remember he's calling for it. the hacksaw. But it also had that conceit as well. The twenty four hour, like hour long yeah, episodes, which was the. Yeah, it was a great concept it wasn't for just one series. A series of episodes. Yeah. yeah, it was a great concept for one series, but um, mainly it was just it was just starting to ramp up the you must trust in your government agencies to do whatever they need to. The institutions to save you. The institutions were back on your TV, except now you were mm. inside them and they had unlimited power. Mm. But you that's what nice, changed after nine. It was like you were happy for them to have the power. Mm. Yes, that's the difference because they always had your best interests in mind. What you go yeah. from you go from being with on one side in Edge of Darkness mm-hmm. to by the time 24 comes out you're with the villains yeah. and they are fully portrayed as yes. the heroes yeah. and you have to feel sorry for their families who mm-hmm. get caught up in their brutal, brutal actions yeah. mm-hmm. um, and you support every one of those brutal actions and I think the way the mm. scenes are done in 24, I think it's really, really noticeable that shift of just how much you 
it's edited and it's written and it's put together for you to be with him going, do it, do it, mm. chop his head off. Oh, definitely. That's what it's made to create. You have to. They've gone from a very open moral horizon to not mm. considering moral horizons at all to saying there is one moral horizon yes. and it is the most brutal one. And they constructed, they constructed those like, I don't have a better word for it, like prisoner dilemma type mm. situations that very quickly after the first series of 24 were mentioned on the floor of the US Congress as the reason for legalising torture. Mm. It's the, um, especially when you think of like how TV changed and the kind of lives that people were leading and the lives that you're defending with these mm. extrajudicial mm. actions, that essentially he's torturing people without any government oversight. He's doing, no. he's doing all this stuff without any kind of moral qualms to defend Egg's right to sit around watching football, <laughs> yeah, and not mm. want to care about politics, yeah, because there's That's no po- so there's no there's no mm. political end point to twenty four. There's merely oh, a no. kind of defensive hackles up posture mm. to it, and I mean, yeah, you could say that it's well, it's an action show. It's a, a I mean, quasar military action oh, yeah. show, but there's no there's no better day at no. the end of twenty four as mm. we saw after six seasons. Well, that's it's like one of the things they they never win. That's what we're in now. We're in the we're in the perma war. Yeah, it's mm. proper nineteen eighty four territory. It's like, yeah. yeah, we've got constantly. And I think it's the first series. It's dangerous Eastern Europeans mm. like Ruskies. It's always the it's always the the video game gradation of enemies. So you start off <laughs> with someone very dodgy um, who's uh, Eastern European. Mm. Then you move on to someone who's like Westernized but Arab, mm. who's like an Egyptian yeah. or like a rich Egyptian mm. businessman or something mm. like that. Then you move on to maybe a, a slightly more kind of like village village like somebody from a village in Yemen, mm. someone like that who actually does the thing. But then you realise at the end of it, the real enemy was like the vice president <laughs> was the person who was next to you all along. Yeah. And that's the like the weirdest like this continuum of enemies that run from Eastern European organized crime mm. all the way to like insane Islamist mm. person. Yeah. You know? Mm. And the what really bugged me about it and it's the the double agents mm. in it. So in the first series, it's his like second in command, his, uh, Nina. His mistress. Mm. Yeah, his mistress, um, Nina, who turns out to be like, I never fully remember the motives. And I don't think they give her any motives. I think she was kind of mercenary. She was like, I think they, at first they tried to make it out like as if she was just a, she had just been, I mean, it is infected by the disease of anti-Americanism, mm. basically. Yeah. But then I think in later series, they turned her into like, she was just a mercenary who was, yeah, and then she she was the, the Black Widow or Because whatever. the stories start to struggle because if you create if you create a world where no one believes in anything, because mm. it's kind of more useful if your population doesn't really believe in anything, yeah. it can make your storytelling a bit harder when you're trying mm. to write someone who believes in something. Mm. And you end up with these massive, massive gaping plot holes in all kinds yeah. of things. We could totally do a whole episode on that, <laughs> of, of characters who do a thing just cause. Mm. Because there's no space anymore for them to have more than just cause yeah 
And so it's this really weird thing, which I think you get really strongly in 24, but you get in lots of other things too, about of mm. these like big antagonists who have no real purpose or drive because no one's got any real purpose or drive. Yeah. But it keeps moving. And that's the other interesting thing about 24. It's packaged really entertainingly. Yeah, it's, it's, it keeps moving. It's empty. The only thing it has to say is essentially be on the side of torture. Yeah. There's nothing more, but it keeps moving. I mean, so you don't think it has, it has motion. It has motion, but it doesn't yeah. have a it uses, map. It uses yeah. like, I mean, Thomas Hardy plotting. Mm. but to encourage you to torture Middle Easterners. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's, I don't know, there's also this really, one of its, it's doing something really insidious, but it's packaged in a really, really entertaining way. And I think there is something pretty grim when you kind of look at that and you rewind back a little to TV that really had something to say. Mm. Yeah. Um, and there probably are things now that have something to say too. I mean, you think that there's definitely conversations to be had about the prestige TV that came after that era. Yes. Mm. But again, I'm not... Sopranos in many ways could be as brutal, but it had the human face to it. It had an embedded mm. sense of like also, place and location. <laughs> and, you know, he is, yeah. He is you're not supposed to be happy your taxes are going to keep... Mm. He's Tony Soprano isn't the rough man that allows mm. you to sleep soundly at night. Well, no, that's another episode because I think what happened afterwards, along with some amazing television, some great television, but was also the rise of the anti-hero because actually that we didn't have heroes anymore because no one believed in anything. Mm -hmm. So that's when Tony Soprano and many, many, many other characters yeah. um, take to the foreground and Don Draper and do you know what I mean? Like the anti-hero yeah. becomes the hero mm. um, because we have no heroes anymore. Yeah, but I think like 24 is the important one there because that breaks with that kind of meaningless violence. I don't think it's necessarily more violent than other films and things that have come across because it was still on TV. It was mm. still on Fox. Yeah. But it did kind of... It did... May, might have been one of the early ones where there's violence for absolutely no... Absolutely no reason. Mm. Like, mm. there's a... Like, yeah, a, a meaningless, nihilistic mm. kind of edge to it, which, of course, that's the kind of thing that was propagated after 2001. Yeah. You know? Mm. Well, I think that's a... Defensive brutality good place to end our episode mm. yeah it was good yeah I hope you guys liked it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i hope you guys liked it that was um are you going to do our last little bit do do you want to do it or do you... no i'd like to see you fail yeah. <laughs> fail it doesn't feel like 30 odd episodes yeah, yeah i have to constantly re-edit you don't have to re-edit my end bit i do every time they don't know that's your choice okay, that's guys you, this brother. kind of bickering feels okay. like a thing i don't need to be a part of <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah, so uh, as usual, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Mm -hmm. um, you can follow us at WDTATW underscore podcast. You can follow uh, Hugh at Tanner Smashing. You can follow me at BM Bergamo. And I'm, I'm on you don't yeah. have nothing. <laughs> I have none of it. I'm very busy doing the <laughs> fictional writing. Working. Oh, you've got stuff, uh, actual real stuff to do. No, I <laughs> like have to, yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Important helping a new generation with my wagon that I ride into town <laughs> like that stuff. Um, yes, that's us for this week. Yeah. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. I love my country. Indeed I do. But oh, that war has made me blue. I like fighting. That's my name. But fighting am the least about the fighting game. When Mr. Hoover said to cut my...